This is Elodie Reed, digital producer for Vermont Public Radio. This podcast has been edited for brevity and clarity. This is Vermont Edition. I'm Bob Kinzel. On Monday, the state of Vermont became the first state in the country to reach a vaccination goal of 80% of all eligible people. And state health officials stressed that despite reaching this goal, the effort to vaccinate as many people as possible in the coming weeks will continue, with dozens of walk-in clinics being scheduled. Why is the state pushing so hard to vaccinate the 20% of the state's population that hasn't received a single dose yet? Health Commissioner Dr. Mark Levine says the goal is to better protect people across the state in the fall and the winter when a variation of the COVID-19 virus known as the Delta virus is expected to cause some problems. This is the variant that's now spreading widely in many countries and at this point accounts for about 10% of cases in the United States. And in the United Kingdom, it accounts for more than 90% of new cases. This variant is showing traits of being far more contagious and potentially more dangerous than the strains we've been seeing, though the science is not yet clear on the latter. How do we stop it? We all know the answer, vaccination. Well, how concerned is the health department about the Delta variant and how it could affect Vermont in the summer and fall? And will annual COVID-19 booster shots become part of our annual medical checkups? Well, here to help us answer these and many other questions is Health Commissioner Dr. Mark Levine. Commissioner Levine, welcome back to Vermont Edition. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Bob. Great to be here. Commissioner, let's start off by clarifying what Vermont's policy is going to be at schools these days. It seems like there's some confusion, and we've gotten some emails about that this morning. Would it be safe to say that the the policy at schools is going to be the same as the general population, and that would be that vaccinated staff and students don't need to wear masks but unvaccinated students and staff are encouraged to wear masks, but there's no requirement that they do so? Yes, Bob. This gives me a chance to just uh, reacquaint uh, your listeners with our website. Um, so so many of them have been following COVID on our Department of Health website. Uh, there's a new section in there, right front and center, called Protect Yourself and Others which really is the most up-to-date guidance we're giving uh, now that the state of emergency uh, has been lifted. And in that guidance, uh, it does talk about uh, schools and masks. And I'll just read the quick sentence so you'll get the exact flavor. For schools, child care, and summer camps, the health department recommends that unvaccinated people two years and older wear masks when inside this summer. So that is the guidance at the present time. That doesn't really talk about the uh, next school year at this point in time. It's really uh, guidance to allow everyone to uh, safely get through the summer in this transition period. And is that, as you read that, is, is, the, is that the state encouraging the, the use of masks or mandating the use of masks? Recommending, not requiring. 
So, um, and that's a very uh, aligned with um, the uh, AAP, which is the entire pediatrics community uh, in the state of Vermont. And it's aligned with uh, Centers for Disease Control guidance as well at this point in time. Commissioner, we got this email on this subject from Rebecca in South Royalton. I'd be very interested to learn more about how health experts feel about lifting the mask mandates at schools and daycare facilities where our kids cannot be vaccinated. Even though the Vermont population age 12 and above has reached the 80 percent threshold, the proportion of vaccinated people at schools and daycare facilities is much less than 80 percent. Are our children safe? I think our children are safe not only um, because of the fact that we're recommending the masking, but they're safe because of what our experience is at this point in time with the virus. When you achieve a vaccination rate as high as we are achieving, you are basically creating a lot of dead ends for the virus when it comes to transmission from person to person. So if somebody uh, has an active case of COVID in the state, the likelihood that they're going to be able to uh, show a dramatic amount of spread from them to others is markedly reduced when you have such a robust response uh, to our vaccination campaign in the state. So um, the kids would be likewise protected because the level of virus in the community that could be transmitted from one person to another is very, very low. That's why we're going to be very uh, assiduously and consistently to what we've been doing all along, following all of the same types of metrics that we have followed to date. You know, the incidence of new cases, um, the uh, hospitalizations, the percent positivity of our tests. All of these give us a good indicator of how active or inactive the virus is in our environment. And as long as it stays very, very low, even though you have a population like the children under age 12 who can't yet be vaccinated, uh, they still are functioning in a very safe environment because there's less virus around to spread to them. And that's really important. And then superimposed on that, of course, is the fact that all, all of the experience, not just in Vermont, but worldwide, uh, tells us that most of the time, when kids do get a case of the virus, they're going to have a milder case. They're not going to have a serious outcome from that case. Um, and so all that's working in everyone's favor at this point. The state obviously on Monday reached that goal of 80 percent of vaccination of eligible people. Those are people 12 and above. In meeting that threshold, can we now say that Vermont has reached herd immunity? Well, we're going to get as close to it as you can get in this country, but I can't tell you uh, a yes-no answer to that because we don't actually know the, the magic number, if you will. Uh, we certainly know um, it wasn't going to be below 60 or 65 percent, so we and many others have achieved something greater than that. Um, 
I've always thought it's going to be somewhere in the 75 to 85 percent range. So we're we're closing in on it, or we're already there. Um, but the more important concept is really not did we get to a number or not. It's what what are we seeing uh, in our experience? Are the numbers of cases going down? Yes. Are the numbers of hospitalizations really at rock bottom levels now? Yes. Are there deaths occurring? Well, we've had one death in the last month. Um, So the bottom line is uh, all indicators are that things are going very well, but I have to do remind people that we're in a time of the year when most of the country is doing pretty well, and we're seeing lower levels of cases uh, pretty much throughout the country. Summertime is a time when people are less likely to congregate indoors, But um, we'll have to see how that goes as the summer goes along. Right now, uh, most people are concerned about the South with its lower levels of vaccine in uh, most of the state's populations and the rise of the Delta variant, which is more transmissible. So they're worried that uh, we'll start to see more cases of COVID in the South, even though it's summertime, just because it's a more transmissible virus. So we'll have to sort of sit on the sidelines here and watch that very closely, um, knowing that the only real guard against it is to get the vaccination rates up in those states, many of which are at half the level of Vermont right now. Let's talk to Gregory, who's calling from Burlington. Hi, Gregory. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Uh, and good morning, Dr. Levine. It's great to hear your voice so, so many times. <laughs> good morning. Um, good morning. Um, I, uh, my question is that, you know, given that the vaccines, none of the vaccines are 100% effective, I was just kind of wondering, um, has any, have any of the COVID cases that uh, have been reported been reported by from people or by people who have been fully vaccinated in Vermont or in general. In Vermont, yeah. <clears throat> yes. So uh, these these are what you're referring to are called often breakthrough cases. I'm not sure I like that term, but that's what they're called. Um, so we have a rate of 0.06 percent of our cases in Vermont have been in vaccinated people, which is six in 10,000. So a very low level. And that's about, you know, that's about where you'd expect. The national rate's actually even a little lower, and it may be because we have a better ability to collect data on this. But the reality is uh, no vaccine in the history of mankind has been 100% effective at preventing the disease that it was... uh, developed for. So as long as the majority of those six and 10,000 are not having severe illness and they're having mild illness or at times asymptomatic illness like uh, the New York Yankees team outbreak, uh, that's okay because these vaccines are really, uh, um, if you will, truth in advertising is prevent the more severe outcomes, hospitalizations, deaths, uh, more residual disease from the vaccine. Uh, so if, if a person gets a milder illness, um, 
the potential was there that they would have had a more severe illness. So we don't want to call that a failure of the vaccine. We just want to recognize that no vaccine is 100 percent effective. Gregory, thanks for your phone call. Let's turn to Alan, who's calling from Whitehall, New York. Hi, Alan. Welcome to the program. Uh, yes, thank you for taking my call. Uh, and uh, I'd like to say that I think uh, Commissioner Levine and uh, the governor have done a marvelous job. I haven't missed a single one of the broadcasts since they uh, came on uh, many months ago. Uh, what I would like to bring up is the fact that uh, the 80%, although is marvelous, and, and Vermont uh, is certainly doing a, a, a great job in, in continuing to get vaccinations. If we had required only 80% of the people uh, to get a polio vaccine, then we would still be in the middle of a polio uh, epidemic 50 or so years after the fact. And as long as there are people that are refusing to uh, get the vaccinations, then they are going to continue to be at risk for uh, some of these uh, uh, new uh, uh, viruses that are coming uh, into play, and they're going to be able to spread to anybody else that they're in contact with. And that may even be people that have already gotten vaccinations that may not be immune to the new to the new uh, uh, ones that are coming in. Yeah, you you make a you make a point there. Um, I do want us to really do focus though on the the power of these vaccines. They do really work very well, uh, and um, even if a new strain comes in. We have yet to find a strain that the vaccine hasn't been able to take care of, um, including this new Delta strain. Uh, so that's, that's very, very important to know. The other thing is um, those who are unvaccinated at a time when you have a huge number, like 80% vaccinated, uh, even though they're putting themselves at risk, the unvaccinated, by not getting the vaccine, they are also uh, enjoying a certain level of benefit. You know, when Bob asked about the herd immunity before, herd immunity is really what's that level where no matter if you've been vaccinated or not, there's enough vaccinated people around or people who've already had the infection that the likelihood of a naive person, if you will, a virus naive person to get the, the infection uh, would be so low. Um, and we don't know where that will level out, but even the unvaccinated will benefit from the fact that so many of us have chosen to be vaccinated. So um, I agree that uh, it won't be like polio, um, and it's hard to compare, you know, how bad one virus is to another. I mean, none of us would ever want to get polio uh, with its ability to paralyze people, etc., put them in wheelchairs. Um, but the reality is COVID has some pretty bad effects as well. Um, but uh, the reality is uh, we'll never have 100%. And even some of the people who have been vaccinated by nature of their own constitution, they may have an immunocompromising illness or take drugs that suppress their immune system. Uh, they may not get the full benefit of the vaccine. So we always be in the business of trying to protect the most vulnerable. 
And the way we do that is get the vaccine rate as high as possible and do all the right things in terms of staying home when sick, washing our hands, etc. all the things we've been advising all along. Being considerate of one another. And uh, I think that's one of the formulas for success in Vermont, where Vermonters have been very considerate of one another throughout this. And part of their, their Vermont strategy of protecting themselves, their families, and their communities has been to really uh, get vaccinated uh, at, in high numbers. Commissioner, you've been talking about the importance of continuing the walk-in clinics to try to get the vaccination rate as high as possible. As you start to look at the probably 18 or 19 percent of eligible Vermonters who have not been vaccinated yet, seems like there was a good day yesterday with almost a thousand people. But as you look at this group of people who have not been vaccinated yet, do you think you're reaching the point where uh either accessibility is an issue or you just have some folks that don't want to be vaccinated? You know, it's getting harder to characterize the group that's now unvaccinated because they're getting smaller all the time. But we know from the very beginning, we don't have a large contingent of Vermonters who are what is termed truly vaccine resistant meaning there is no way in the world they're going to get the vaccine. And you can talk to them in as many uh, innovative ways as possible and uh, try to reach a new angle every time, uh, but they're never going to be convinced. Uh, Based on some survey data, uh, both done within Vermont and done uh, at the level of national media, it doesn't seem like that's a large group in Vermont. It seems like a more significant group is the group of people who uh, just need the vaccine to be sort of in front of their face at the time. They haven't put it on their priority list. They have other things that are uh, going on in their lives that really are impacting them that don't make them think of the vaccine first. They may be concerned about time off from work, either the day of the vaccine or the day after if they may have some uh, of the common side effects. So, When you put all that together, our strategy of just making sure that we are making vaccine as available as possible seems like a winning strategy. Whether it's providing walk-in circumstances so you don't have to register ahead of time and schedule appointments, or whether it's just putting it in places where people literally will stumble upon it. And if they're with a group of friends who's already vaccinated and they say, you're the only one of us who hasn't got vaccinated yet. Well, look, here's a tent. You can go right right in now and do it. Uh, That seems to be working. And though we're not getting thousands of people at each site anymore uh, because there are less people in total to get, uh, we're getting good numbers. So there's no reason for us to really... uh, change horses in the middle of this because uh, this is really meeting needs of Vermonters um, and it's not like we're coercing any of them. We're just providing it and making sure that uh, they know it's available for them in places where they might end up being, whether from work to social circumstances. Let's go back to our callers and talk to Bob, who's calling from Barrie. Hey, Bob, welcome to the program. Thank you. Um, I've got actually two questions, but one is real quick. Um, 
When you say it's 80%, is that 80% of the total population or 80% of the people who are eligible? So it's actually 80.5% now. We're going up. And it's 80.5% of those eligible to be vaccinated, which means ages 12 and above. If you go to the total population, you'll get a different number. Um, But this is the most uh, pertinent uh, statistic because it really gets at the people who are eligible to be vaccinated. Okay. And the other question was, um, I have a friend of mine who uh, got vaccinated the same time I did in uh, in uh, February. And about four weeks ago, she came down with it, uh, with the virus. Um, she, she tested positive and was barely sick. But she had the she had been vaccinated. Is that a common thing, or is is that going to be like something we have to think about in the future? Yeah, well, I, that, that that was asked by a previous listener, and I said that right now our rate is about six in ten thousand vaccinated people have become cases. So, whatever you term common, I would consider that to be very uncommon, but it's still possible. And again, no vaccine in the history of man has been 100% effective. I feel sad about the fact your friend had come down with uh, significant symptoms. Uh, So it is possible, but it's uh, very unlikely. Let's talk to Susan calling from Montpelier. Hi, Susan. Welcome to the program. an elementary school teacher, and I'm very curious about some forthcoming guidance. We so much appreciated the guidance we had this fall, and now we're interested in um, some information about the age group that is not yet able to get the vaccine and how things might roll out for the fall and perhaps whether a vaccine will be administered at school. That would be my dream. I'm wondering if you could talk to that a little bit. Yes, absolutely. A little bit of uh, prediction and forecasting for the future. So we're talking, depending on uh, which trial you're talking at, we're talking either ages 2 through 12 or we're talking ages 6 through 12. Um, It's going to depend on uh, the data that's reported out in the studies that are ongoing at this point in time. We expect by the fall... Uh, there'll be a, a full report of the success, we, we assume, of the vaccine for this age group. The uh, next step would, of course, be to get emergency use authorization, and um, that usually is a fairly rapid process. That advisory committee to the CDC, the ACIP, as it's called, is actually meeting in a more urgent setting this Friday, And I believe one of the topics they're going to discuss is um, how they're going to approach the younger age group. So we'll hear more about that probably at the end of this week. We are uh, already working with our pediatric colleagues throughout the state to uh, sort of pave the way for a new vaccine effort that will uh, occur when this receives emergency use authorization. Some of this will occur in schools. I think that was a winning formula for the adolescents. 
and we should continue that kind of strategy for younger students. Some of it will occur uh, with the pediatric community itself. Some of it will occur in some of the uh, pharmacy settings as it has already before. And there may still be a need for some larger vaccine settings because we're talking about a large number of kids in this age range. So uh, the details will be forthcoming, but the planning is underway already. And uh, the pediatric community is delighted to actually be able to help us plan with this and create the best circumstances where the kids will feel most comfortable, their parents will feel most comfortable, and uh, this will go without a hitch. So uh, look forward to that. Uh, I can't tell you when in the fall. Could be as early as September, could be as late as the end of the year. Uh, we, we really don't have a firm uh, understanding at this point in time. But we do pretty much, most of the medical community fully expects that there will be um, positive results coming from these trials and an uh, emergency use authorization provided. Susan, many thanks for your phone call. A lot of parents, a lot of teachers and students thinking about that very subject. Let's turn to Lynn in Burlington. Hi, Lynn. Welcome to the program. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I I wondered if um, when uh, when these vaccines are approved beyond emergency approval, um, could institutions and organizations require them? You know, Commissioner, expect- maybe we oh, could sorry. we could start with the, this whole idea that Lynn brought up that uh, th- these vaccines are now being used under an emergency authorization, and that puts in place a certain set of rules and regulations that might change if they're uh, when we move out of the emergency authorization. Do I have that straight? You do, um, although. I I try not to weigh in too heavily on legal aspects of things, since that's not what my degree is in. But most of the legal community I'm learning um, isn't treating emergency use authorization and approval that differently. But the reality is it's anticipated that in the coming month or so, we may start to see some approval because I believe that'll be about a year that the original people in the first trials of the messenger RNA vaccines uh, were enrolled and have been followed. And so a year of follow-up uh, would already have occurred. So that that is going to be coming in our future. It's just a matter of when. And obviously the determinants of what merits approval will be the same as what got emergency use authorization. Is the vaccine effective and is the vaccine safe? So all of that same information will be looked at, except there'll be more of it because of the millions and millions of doses that have uh, accumulated over time. The, um, the consequences, we'll call it, of being approved when it comes to businesses and what have you um, may not be that different than they are right now. Because the reality is, um, we've already said at a number of our press conferences that you know, businesses have a right to uh, mandate what they want to. 
uh, along the lines of the sort of no shirt, no shoes, no service kind of thing. Um, so if they want to um, require people to do masking, if they want to require their employees to uh, be vaccinated, that is something that is uh, well within their purview. It's not something that the state of Vermont is going to um, change their policy on if approval occurs um, because we are no longer operating under a state of emergency. But there is an opportunity for work sites to uh, use that in whatever way they want to to protect their employees, protect their customers, um, uh, continue the operations of their business in a smooth manner. Commissioner, do you see a difference between a retail outlet that, as you mentioned, no shoes, no shirt, no service, uh, making a decision for its retail customers and a private corporation in Vermont that might decide, hey, if you want to come back to work, uh, you need to be vaccinated? Is, are those different circumstances or they, do you see them as pretty much the same? Well, they're not the same, but they're they're just uh, two examples of the complexities of the world we're living in now that COVID-19 is here. And they're examples of the kind of thoughtfulness you need to apply um, in looking at your own setting. Obviously, if you're going to mandate something, um, you really want to be very thoughtful about that and have some rationale that people can look at and accept uh, and it passes their own test of yes that makes sense to me versus uh, that seems like it's going too far or what have you so I'm not going to weigh in on the merits of uh, retail customers versus a business who doesn't want to have a lot of employees out sick or have its uh, its business um, impaired in some way because uh, people were getting ill so um, that's about as best I can do with that question. Do you know if the state of Vermont is going to have a policy for vaccinations for state employees who want to come back to work? I don't know for sure, but I do know that at this point in time, that is not uh, being entertained. Let's talk to Chris, who's calling from Bristol. Hey, Chris, what's on your mind today? Good morning. Uh, thank you, Bob. Good morning, uh, Dr. Levine. Um, I wanted to ask about um, uh, folks coming to Vermont from out of state. Uh, an important part of our economy is tourism and guests and hospitality. And we're trying to help all these businesses get back up on their feet. And that in involves having people travel into Vermont and stay with us, which is a great thing. Um, but by virtue of us being the best in the nation in terms of a vaccination rate, it seems like that visiting population may be a little riskier than Vermonters. And I'm wondering how the state's navigating being prudent and also encouraging a recovery, you know, in the hospitality industry. And you mentioned an industry that, um, you know, has really helped play by the rules all along. Um, and um, needs to be able to take advantage of uh, the fact that tourism is a big part of our industry in Vermont, and this time of year is obviously an important time of year. We have uh, very, very low levels of uh, virus in the state right now and in the region, uh, which is fortunate because 
the region is a big source of uh, people coming into the state for vacations and tourism, etc. There are people coming in from other parts of the country that may uh, have little higher rate of uh, virus at this point in time. Although, as a whole, the country is doing pretty well right now. Since we've uh, gotten through the Vermont forward phases, there are no requirements for vaccination, testing, or quarantine periods for travelers. And that will continue uh, for this foreseeable future. We are always looking at data. We are always going to be following the uh, not only local and regional data, but the national and international data. The CDC currently has some very strict guidelines regarding international travel, which should be protective for people coming in from regions of the world that may not be looking as good as the United States right now and involve testing protocols. We do not have that within the country at this time. I wouldn't want to say that this is something that we'll do in the future, but obviously this is why you follow data all the time and you look very closely at patterns and uh, levels of community transmission in various regions. So if we became alarmed um, based on future data that uh, there's a sudden uh, red tide, so to speak, on a travel map of states being very red going on, we'd obviously have to reevaluate. Uh, there's no reason to do that right now, but uh, that's why the virus is never gone and we're always going to be watching very closely. So I wouldn't want to strike fear in anyone's heart that uh, people are going to be coming into the state and we're all going to end up getting sick because of that, because I really don't see that as the pattern. One of the benefits of having such a high vaccination rate within the state is as I alluded to earlier, the vaccine will protect us. And if someone comes into the state and becomes infectious uh, because they weren't vaccinated or came from a, a different part of the region or world where there was a variant that uh, was more, more significant, we will be relatively protected from that. The virus will reach a dead end because our vaccinated state will allow us to be protected. So we will continue to watch all this very carefully, and people themselves should obviously watch their own travel habits who live in Vermont when it comes to where they want to go in the country or the world. You have to have an awareness nowadays about these things. But right now, there's no reason to create any other layers of um, surveillance or um, testing protocols or quarantine requirements for those who might be coming into the state new or might be returning to the state as Vermonters who have traveled elsewhere. But just, you know, realize that the CDC maintains data on everything when it comes to the virus uh, around the world. And if you're planning on some travel, you need to really have an awareness of what's going on there uh, so you'll uh, be as safe as possible. Chris, many thanks for your question today. Commissioner, uh, there's been a question on my mind. I'm so glad that you were available to be on the program today. 
You mentioned that some states have a much lower vaccination rate. I think you uh, pointed out uh, Mississippi that has a rate that's half of what Vermont's is. It could lead one to the conclusion that there is a correlation between a state's vaccination rate and the number of new cases per capita. But at the, the New York Times had a, a quadrant chart this week that showed that's not always true, that in some cases there are states that have high vaccination rates and lo, a low number of cases. There we are in Vermont. There are states that have a high vaccination rate and a high number of new cases. I'm thinking now of the state of Washington and the state of Oregon. Then you have states like Mississippi, very low vaccination rates, but not a lot of new cases. How is this possible? It is so curious, isn't it? It and is. Indeed, and indeed, there are people who are looking at those kinds of quadrants and not looking at their present status, but looking at their potential future status. And there are some prominent... Uh, epidemiologists uh, and others on the uh, national news media who are calling some of the southern states sitting ducks. Now, I wouldn't get so strong and severe, nor would I hope that on anyone. But the reality is, you know, if the Delta variant uh, is significant and it becomes more apparent in the country and more transmissible, those people are thinking that those states will just be more likely to erupt with outbreaks. Unclear if that's going to be true or not, uh, but there's a, certainly a strong possibility that that could happen, and a state like Vermont would be protected from that. It is curious, um, that, that analysis, because I have a little trouble explaining those quadrants, to be honest. Many of those states, it turns out, there's regional successes and regional failures. So if you look at the state of Washington, for example, and you look at the corridor where Seattle is along the coast, you'll find different data than you will east of the Cascades. And um, that all has to do with the vaccine uptake rate within the state. We don't have such dramatic changes in Vermont from one region to another. And uh, that's not going to be so true here. But it is true in a number of other parts of the country. And you could, per, you could predict that um, more of the cases in a state that is in the quadrant where their vaccination rate's pretty good, but their cases are also too high, that they may have regions where that is true, but then there'll be regions where that's not true. But they're so much larger than our state that, uh, that those numbers will really have a lot more meaning uh, for a larger swath of a population. That's sort of the only way I can sort of rationalize that at this time. And there's also, you know, a difference not only geographically, but often there's a difference related to uh, who the people are. And I'm specifically talking now about racial equity. And there's quite disparate results in some of the states with regard to the percentage of white non-Hispanics vaccinated versus the so-called BIPOC community vaccination rate. And the numbers are, you know, literally 30 to 50 percentage points apart. Uh, compared to Vermont, 
where we have really got a very, very narrow disparity gap now, under 5% in the 4.5% range. So you have some folks in Mississippi, in Alabama, in Louisiana, Arkansas, Texas, which opened up uh, its society to uh, everyone quite early in the process. You have folks in those states who are saying, hey, we have a low vaccination rate, but we also have a low number of new cases. And that shows you that this whole vaccination theory uh, was a little misguided. What would you say to those people? I'd say, number one, um, this is a point in time, and I am concerned about these new variants and how they may impact their population. I'd also say, number two, uh, it depends on how much testing is being done. One can fool oneself into thinking that you're doing well because there's not that much testing going on. And we've seen that before, where Vermont at one point in time in this pandemic was literally testing at a rate 50 times that of the lowest state. Not just a few times, but 50 times. So how do you know that the data you're getting from another state is accurate if there's such a low amount of testing being done and you're you're actually fooling yourself into thinking you're doing much better than you are? So I'd be concerned about those factors playing a role. I would add that, you know, for those people who think that Um, even though we've now um, fully reopened, as the term goes, uh, we we were the last New England state to do it fully, and New England has been the most conservative part of the country with regard to the reopening process. So much of the rest of the country has been open for so long uh, a time. Um, So uh, for those who are a little nervous about the reopening, in spite of our our great 80% number, I just let them know that um, we we have been, uh, by and large, the most conservative. And um, we anticipate that the reopening process is continuing to go very, very well in our state. Let's talk to Doreen, who is calling from Underhill. Hi, Doreen. Welcome to the program. Hi. Thank you very much for taking my call. I have a question sure. for the commissioner. I uh, am fully vaccinated. There is a couple that wants to visit me from out of state. One of the individuals is fully vaccinated. The other one doesn't believe in vaccination. Um, I have MS, and I try to keep my immune system as quiet as possible. I am thinking that I will, uh, if they want to stay overnight at my house, I will insist that uh, the individual who is not vaccinated do a PCR test within three days of arriving. And also, when they are in my house, uh, that uh, the individual wear a mask. If if, the, if, in fact, the person does not want to do the PCR test, um, am, I, am I guilty of overkill, or what would you advise? Thanks for that question. I, I, I think what I heard in the midst of that was that you do have some illness and you are concerned about your immune system? Yes, I have MS. Yes, okay. And so you're probably also on some therapy that might affect your immune system. So I believe that you're doing exactly what you should be doing. 
You're trying to be as cautious as possible, knowing that you, even though you're fully vaccinated, are a more vulnerable person in our society due to your age and illnesses. And because of that, um, I think that the visitors, if they are truly your friends, would be understanding and realize that um, you're not asking a lot. You're asking for a mask and you're asking for a pre-arrival test uh, so that you could be fully protected and stay as healthy as you're trying to keep yourself. I, I, I don't see anything wrong with that strategy and I would endorse it. And Commissioner, I think I've heard you say several times, different people are going to come up with different strategies and they have to come up with strategies that are comfortable for them going forward. They really do. They have to be comfortable for them and and they should make they should meet the common sense litmus test, which uh, Doreen's story for me clearly meets that. I have to admit that when I went to the grocery store last night, uh, I was surprised at how many people were not wearing a mask. Maybe that shouldn't have been a surprise given the uh, reaching of the 80 percent goal earlier this week. But it just shows you how used to wearing a mask we've all become. I mean, in the beginning, wearing a mask was really weird. It felt awkward. Is this really necessary? And then it came. It became a common part of our lives. And now going out and being in a retail setting without a mask feels weird. It really does, uh, to the point where when I was at the grocery store, I uh, wasn't sure. I, ca- I took my mask with me, and an employee told me, oh, we've, we've changed our policy now that uh, as long as you're vaccinated, whether you're an employee or a customer, you don't need to wear a mask. So I felt more comfortable not wearing the mask at that time, but uh, you never know. And that's why I, I also caution Vermonters that if they see members of Vermont amongst us who are wearing a mask, we don't know their reason. And they may have a very valid reason. Uh, and we just have to accept the fact that there's a reason that they're wearing a mask and we should respect that and be comfortable with it and not um, pass judgment on, on them by any means. Commissioner, we're almost out of time, but we did get a question from Peter in Bakersfield who wanted to know about how effective are vaccines coming out of Russia and China. Do you have any thoughts about that? The vaccines coming out of Russia and China? Yes. Yeah, I I, I don't want to be the authority on them, but what I have read about the Chinese one especially is it has not demonstrated the same level of effectiveness against some of the variant strains. The Russian one, I um, know, was a very controversial one when it first came out. I don't know if uh, real, real-time real use has shown it to be more effective or not. I do know that um, we as a country need to think about these things when we have visitors coming in from other places who may not have been vaccinated with one of our three authorized uh, vaccines. So um, I I can't say any more than that, though. Health Commissioner Dr. Mark Levine, many thanks for taking the time to be on the program today, not only today, but for the last 15 months. I think our listeners really appreciate 
the transparency of the Scott administration, and in particular, uh, your advice and your talking to people and letting folks know uh, what the situation is in Vermont without sugarcoating it. Uh, many thanks for that as well. I appreciate that, and uh, thank you. It's been a pleasure being with you once again.